So I want to start today's podcast actually with an activity, right? And I think this activity is actually powerful to do. So if you're commuting on your way to work and that kind of thing, I'll invite you to replay this introduction when you get somewhere safe where you can uh, sit down with a, with a notebook and actually take part in the activity. Now, either way, if you're starting the activity or just thinking about it, I want you to consider where you live, right? For me, that's Syracuse, New York. And I, I want you to consider geographically that area. Picture a map or maybe go to Google Maps or Apple Maps or whatever, Mappy Maps, and see that space. Are you there? Now I want you to identify maybe up to five places where you feel like you truly belong in that space. Which places would you pick? Where do you feel connected? Where do you feel seen and heard? Where do you feel alive or invited? Where do you feel like you're in a good place and validated or comfortable or honest? Or like our members experience in the mastermind, they feel like they belong. They feel connected. You have those spaces? What makes them special? How do you know that you belong there? What are the cues? And now for the big question. Did you pick your school? Would your staff, would your students, would your parents pick your school? So that's the content of today's topic. It's an awesome conversation that I have with Dr. Susie Wise. She wrote a book that I recommend you check out called Design for Belonging. And since, you know, my latest book, Mastermind Unlocking Talent Within Every School Leader, we, we unpack this framework called the ABCs of Powerful Professional Development. The A is for authenticity. The B is for belonging. The C is for challenge. And when you integrate those three aspects into a professional development experience, that leads to life and leadership transformation. I share all that to say that belonging is near and dear my heart. I love this episode. You're going to love it. And I was thrilled to share the mic with Dr. Wise on, guess what? Chief Ruckus Makers, Danny Bowers, <laughs> birthday. Today's my birthday. So... It's super fun to uh, release this episode and, and celebrate my birthday with you. You are a gift to me in the fact that you've been listening to this podcast for so long. And so I just want to say thanks and express some gratitude on my special day as well. Like I said, hey, it's Danny and welcome to the Better Leaders, Better Schools podcast, the show for ruckus makers. That's you because you are an out-of-the-box leader making change happen in education. And we'll be right back after a few short messages from our show sponsors. Learn how to develop your skills to identify challenges, incorporate and support innovation, and plan and drive school improvement in leading school strategy and innovation. A certificate in school management and leadership course from Harvard. Leading school strategy and innovation runs from July 20th to August 17th, 2022. Apply by July 8th. Enroll by July 14th. Get started at betterleadersbetterschools.com slash Harvard. Are you automatically tracking online student participation data during COVID? 
Innovative school leaders across the country have started tracking online student participation using TeachFX because it's one of the most powerful ways to improve student outcomes during COVID, especially for English learners and students of color. Learn more about TeachFX and get a special offer at teachfx.com forward slash BLBS. That's teachfx.com forward slash BLBS. All students have an opportunity to succeed with Organized Binder, who equips educators with a resource to provide stable and consistent learning, whether that's in a distance, hybrid, or traditional educational setting. Learn more at organizedbinder.com. Hello, Ruckus Maker. I am excited to share this episode with Dr. Susie Wise. One, She's brilliant. She wrote a, a, a beautiful book called Design for Belonging that I highly recommend you check out. It's all about belonging, which is a part of my framework, the ABCs, right? A powerful professional development. So B for belonging is special to my heart. Plus, this is my birthday episode, right? This is released on July 6th. And I'm just really honored to share it with Dr. Wise. So Dr. Susie Wise is a design leader with experience in the education tech and the social sectors. She coaches leaders in equity design and innovation practices. She teaches at the D School at Stanford and coaches with the Mira Fellowship. Previously, she founded and directed the K-12 Lab at the D School and co-created Liberatory Design. Dr. Wise, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me, Danny. I'm glad to be here. Absolutely. So Susie, you wrote, you wrote a beautiful book. It's all about belonging. And you tell the story of your mom being remarried in the beginning of the book. And you use that to illustrate a moment when you actually felt like you didn't belong. Can you tell us that story? Absolutely. So I find that um, one of the key things about designing for belonging is, is feeling it. And sometimes when you're asked to feel a time of belonging, the first thing that comes to your mind is a time when you didn't so much feel it. And for me, as you said, that was the time of one thing that comes to my mind is the time of my mother's um, second marriage. Before I tell the story, I'll say it, there's a happy ending. I love my stepfather. <laughs> so just to get that out of the way. But at the time, as an awkward seventh grader who was really uncomfortable with the departure of her father, I... It was pretty miserable with the idea that my mom was getting remarried and the wedding was kind of the pinnacle of that for me. And it's interesting because part of what I think about in designing for belonging is can you, you know, how can you redesign a bad situation? So we can't go back to that moment. But when I, when I look at that moment in my memory, I feel like I didn't know why I was there. I didn't know where we were. We were in a church that I was not familiar with. I didn't know a lot of the people. And I just had this deep sense of disease and like I didn't belong there. And when I look back, I think, wow, there are in fact so many things that one could have done. Could there have been a new role created to help the kids figure out what was going on? Could the space have somehow invited us in? Could there have been a way for me to contribute to the day that felt authentic or participate in some way that felt authentic to me? So just in a way, it encapsulates kind of all the things that a moment of belonging 
doesn't have, but could have. Right, right. And this obviously, it's a personal story and experience. And, and you're talking about belonging, at least when I hear you, correct me if I'm wrong, but from the lens of like what the family or the church and that kind of stuff could do, uh, you know, I'm thinking with my leadership hat on. And we'll, and we'll talk about how leaders can do belonging in their schools. But the ruckus maker listening, I'm sure they have a Susie like you, right? That's going through an experience like this. Do you think the school could have done anything? And it's okay if, you, if the answer is like, no, because we're going to get to that, like what schools can do. But I'm just, when you reflect, do you think? Well, I, I mean, I think it's interesting, right? And, you know, that would have needed to be some kind of interaction where they even knew in my memory. I don't know, right? Knew, but sure. Like you could imagine a teacher or a leader letting families know that if you're having events, right? Big events, big changing points in your family's lives. Let us know we're here to support, right? That feels like that could have been. Yeah. So yeah, I like that suggestion. Uh, And, or, you know, other institutions, I think I was part of a Girl Scout troop at the time, right? Like might there have been any kind of inner connection? Um, I think it's really interesting to think about it like that. And the, for me, the thing about having a memory of not belonging to work with, and I invite everyone to, to think about that. It can be really powerful because you can, and, and this is not meant to re-traumatize anyone. So of course you're doing this like in ways that are safe for you and, and memories that you want to go back to and, and work with. Um, so just to, you know, to say that, so we're clear, but the going back to think about a time when you didn't belong can reveal some of the things that were missing. And similarly, going to a time or a place where you now or in the past have felt a strong sense of belonging, you can kind of unearth what was created that helped you feel that. Hmm. Yeah, that makes that makes a lot of sense. And I think that's a great activity, right, that uh, ruckus makers can run with their staff. So you don't have to sell me on the idea of belonging and that it matters. Uh, but I don't, you know, I don't know all the listeners. I, I, I can assume that many of them, you know, have alignment with the energy that I put out there and the values and that kind of thing. But there might be somebody listening, right? Like, why, why should I really care about creating belonging in school? And so what, what might you say to that leader? I think to that leader, I'll say, it's not a nice to have. It's actually fundamental. <laughs> okay. It's fundamental to, to learning. Right. One of the one of the things I do in the book is I feature these host heroes and one of them is Camille Farrington and she does research in Chicago area schools. And that sense of belonging is fundamental to being able to have an identity as a learner. And we know that having an identity as a learner is fundamental to getting to learn anything else. And so as a school leader, as an educator, cultivating a sense of belonging is is kind of job one. I mean, safety first, but next job is belonging. They go hand in hand. They're next to each other on Maslow's hierarchy of needs, in fact. Right. And you also tell the story of uh, Alita Hayes and the power of entering. And and you, uh, I'll just, I'll let you explain this threshold exercise, but I want to know about the music and the dancing. It seemed fun. Can you tell us more? 
Absolutely. Absolutely. So what, just to uh, back up for a quick second, the idea here is that there are lots of moments to design for. So you can't just say, Mm. I'm going to design belonging wall to wall 24 seven. Like, yes, that's the goal, but that's not how you design for design. You have to design concretely around something. And so one way that I've found helpful is to open up and think about a range of different kinds of moments. So the invitation is one and entering is the next kind of moment. And I talk about Alita Hayes. She's somebody that I've worked with a bunch of times at the D school. She's a dance teacher um, and lecturer at the D school and at Stanford. And she does this exercise in some of our workshops with educators and with executives where she creates a kind of false entry. We're in a big room, but she creates a false entry that you have to come through. So literally just like pulling up some whiteboard. So anyone could do this, just to say it out loud, ruckus makers, pull, pull up some boards so that you kind of block the entrance. You have some mute and you, you step out in the front of that and you say, when you enter this new entry, right? You'll notice that there's music and there's no pressure here. You just want to move to the music. I just want everybody as you walk through the door and just that, that signaling of a new doorway, a new threshold lets you take in her instructions, I think in an interesting way. And then the music does the rest. So then that right. once you enter the, the music is playing and people just start to move and she takes it from there to get folks to do all kinds of different dances, but it starts by just walking. So we walk as if we're in New York and we walk as if we're in Chicago and we walk as if we're in a sleepy small town in the middle of America. Um, Or just we walk where, how we grew up walking and wherever we lived. Um, And noticing that walking is a version of a dance. And we all do that all the time. So you don't have to be afraid of the word dance when you start with walking. So it's really powerful. And I think that the, the reason I wanted to include her is just the consciousness, the intentionality of that design for entering a space, I think is really powerful. Very powerful. And one of the exercises, there's many exercises throughout the book. And what I'd like for you to unpack with the Ruckus Maker listening is this idea of stop and listen at the entry. Uh, that's a that's a powerful moment when we're talking about moments for any stakeholder, right? Like parent, student, staff member, business person, and whoever, but they're coming in. What do they experience? So can you talk us a bit about the uh, the exercise there? Absolutely. So stop and linger at the entry helps us just to think about these moments of coming or going, but imagine entering. That's a powerful moment where you often question, do I belong here at that threshold, at that doorway? Think about entering a new country or a new town or a new building or a new company that you ask the question, do I belong? So it's a critical moment for to receive cues about who belongs and who doesn't. Um, And so this exercise just says, Go to some place. Maybe don't start first with your school. Start with somewhere else. Could be just somewhere you're going in your day. So it's the the big box store that you need to go to or the grocery store. And and think about it as you're entering. And you can think about it on three levels and any others that occur to you. But one is what's happening in the physical space. The other is what's happening in the visual space. So what are you seeing? 
What, what are the structures of the physical space? What are you seeing on the visual plane? And then what's happening in terms of any interactions as part of the entry? Um, is there a greeter? Is there not a greeter? Is there, right? And then as you think, you know, are there visuals? What, what are the cute? And then you're just asking yourself the question, what are all the things that were part of that entry? And how did they make me feel? Were they kind of pro-belonging, really inviting me in? Or were they a little bit alienating? Were they cueing me that maybe this wasn't my space? And you could think about this in spaces that um, that maybe you don't go to regularly too, um, or spaces that are explicitly designed, let's say for little people, a certain kind of playground or play space. When you go there, what are the signals? And are they? And who are they speaking to? Are they speaking to the tall people, the adults? Are they speaking to the little people, the kiddos? And so it's just this paying attention to that critical juncture of the entryway, I think is powerful. And you're then you're also just tuning yourself to thinking across those three dimensions, physical, visual, and interaction in any kind of, you could also look at those three things in a meeting that you go to and think about how they're playing, right? So the paying attention and feeling into how you're receiving the signals is part of designing for belonging. Yeah. One of my coaches and mentors, Seth Godin, right? He talks about who's it for, what's it for. And I think that that curiosity about all these spaces could be applied, you know, in so many different ways in a school leader's life. So, you know, the, the shadow side of belonging, I don't know if you'd agree, but you talk about othering, right? As, as uh, when, when you feel like you don't belong, you're being othered. And uh, sometimes when you step into a space, you say, oh, this is not for me. You experience that and it feels a certain type of way. There's, there's somebody you highlight in the book, David Yeager. I hope I'm pronouncing his name right. But at the University of Texas, and that school, like many schools, right, are going to have first-generation college students and, and students that don't have a history and a like, family experience of what it takes to be successful. And even though we're talking about colleges, this, this applies to elementary, right, a middle, a high school. Like, what does it take to be successful here? And David figured out an intervention that helped those kids succeed because they're, they're asking that question, do I belong? And if their answer is no then often, you know, they, they, they quit. They decide to find a place they do belong. So can you talk about the, the intervention that he saw as useful? Yeah, and he's experimented with a number of different ones. So I'll kind of give the high level, but invite sure. people to, uh, you know, he's a published researcher, so you can, you can find his work. And you did say it, right? It's David Yeager. He's okay, a psychologist cool. at the University of Texas. And he, um, for a long time, and was a student of Carol Dweck. So he was thinking mm. about growth mindset. And in the context of that, um, really thinking about belonging. And as you said, first-gen college students one of the things that you find is that that students that have a background and more people in their life that have experienced college don't have as many psychological threats to their belonging when they get to college. And so it's very natural. Most students hit a bump in the road when you get to college. And the question is, do you interpret that as, oh, that was a hard test and I should study more or I could go to office hours or maybe I need a study group or any number of things to like, wow, I didn't do as well on that test as I wanted to. The issue is if you interpret that not doing well on the test as a, as a threat of like, oh, I don't belong here, that sends you down a different path. 
and you, you start to seek the exit instead of actually seeking the resources that would help you. And so what he did in this intervention, and it was, it was quite notable because it was a short intervention. It was, you know, about, uh, if I'm remembering correctly, like, you know, 20 to 45 minutes of content that students received over the summer before they started school. So there was a little bit of texting with somebody, but there were stories that they received in video form from older students who had backgrounds like theirs. That's kind of critical. So it's like someone like me who is letting me know that when it gets hard, right, I can look for all these resources. And so just the hearing that from somebody like themselves who'd been down the road, then gave them enough of a boost that it persisted. And they saw really important gains in terms of not leaving school for the students that that had that. So it was a powerful indicator of how we can support belonging. It does not mean redesigning the entire university, although I'm not opposed to that, but um, (laughs) for ruckus makers, like redesign is great, but the small things that you can do to get started, to be supportive, like we're very, we take up very subtle cues that can either send us in the, in the direction of feeling like, oh, this is not for me. Similarly, a subtle cue can really buoy you in the face of some of the other cues of like, oh, I got a bad score. But remembering that that that's part of the college journey, it's not you. And there's so many resources that you can tap into is really, really powerful. So I love sharing that work. And there are a range of other learning scientists that do work related to that, that show that it is really powerful to make new kinds of interventions to support belonging. And for me, that means we got to get in there with design. Design helps us to think intentionally and to be a little bit experimental about what are some different things that we can do and see what kinds of students can be supported to belong more in what contexts. Brilliant. Well, Susie, I'm really enjoying our conversation. We're going to pause here for some messages from our sponsors. When we come back, we're going to travel to Oakland and talk about designing a back-to-school ritual, which is very timely since this is coming out in the middle of summer. Learn how to successfully drive school change and help your diverse stakeholders establish priorities and improve practice in leading school strategy and innovation. A certificate in school management and leadership course from Harvard. Topics include vision and goal setting, root cause analysis, organizational alignment, innovation, and more. Leading School Strategy and Innovation runs from July 20th to August 17th, 2022. Apply by July 8th. Enroll by July 14th. And get started at betterleadersbetterschools.com slash Harvard. During COVID, every teacher is a new teacher. That's why innovative school leaders are turning to TeachFX, whose virtual PD is equipping thousands of teachers with the skills they need to create engaging, equitable, and rigorous virtual or blended classes. To learn more about TeachFX and get a special offer, visit teachfx.com forward slash BLBS. That's teachfx.com forward slash BLBS. Today's show is brought to you by Organized Binder. Organized Binder develops the skills and habits all students need for success. 
During these uncertain times of distance learning and hybrid education settings, Organized Binder equips educators with a resource to provide stable and consistent learning routines so that all students have an opportunity to succeed, whether at home or in the classroom. Learn more at OrganizedBinder.com. All right, and we're back with Dr. Susie Wise. I love her book, Design for Belonging. Highly recommend that Ruckus Makers pick up a copy. And yes, we are now in Oakland at Urban Montessori, and you are helping them design a back-to-school ritual. Can you explain what you helped dream up and create with them? Yes. And I realize, I just realized that there are two stories that I tell in there. Are you thinking about for educators or for parents? Oh, I, you know, I didn't have that in my notes, so I must have forgot. But let's, let's talk for parents because we talk, you know, we're talking about ruckus making and redesign and like an open house back to school night. That is like low hanging fruit for many schools that have just been doing it the same way for decades. And it's boring. It's not connecting. People might not even be coming. So we, we, could, we could really give some value that way. Awesome. Thank you. So, so one of the things that we did at Urban Montessori was to think about how we could invite parents in to not just adhere to kind of as referring to the, the ways things had always been done, but we're really trying to make an invitation. This is a new school and it was a very diverse school with a really diverse uh, parent and caregiver population um, crossing a number of different communities. And we wanted to be supportive of folks getting to show up and know that they could make a contribution. And the contribution, because the contribution is a big part of belonging. It's one of the moments that you have to call out. And I think as a leader, thinking about for your staff, but also for your parent community, how can parents make a contribution? We often end up with a really limited palette of options. Like you can give money or you can go to this event. And that eliminates so many folks. And what we found was, is that we wanted to show up and introduce a design exercise. So nobody knew this particular design exercise. So right there, it was kind of leveling. We used the moment to be very casual. You know, there was plenty of food and coffee. It was a Saturday morning. And then we entered into just pairwise conversations. So parents talking to another parent that they purposely didn't know, finding out a little bit about their life and about how they most liked to be introduced to others and what kind of a contribution they felt like they could make once they were introduced. And so they did these interviews with each other. And then what was special in this context is then your partner designed for you a way to share what you might want to contribute to the school with the wider community. And and the, um, the, the experience of that was really powerful because the, the other parent then received this idea that was kind of ready to go. And there were a real, really wide range. Some people designed a little letter that they could hand out. Some people designed something that was more like a space. Other people designed an event that they could do where different parents could come and share their skills and it was just a really beautiful moment of you. It, it felt like it really interrupted some of the traditional power dynamics in a school of the person with the kind of 
most elite white collar job wasn't in charge of this event. In fact, right, the parent who could contribute by doing some gardening with students and offering that to the school was really excited to do that. And that it was really, it was really seen as a valuable contribution. And then there was just this collective notion of, wow, this is going to be a school where everyone's going to contribute really differently, but we're all going to contribute something. And it was, it was, it was super powerful. And so when we take that to like a back to school night, I feel like there are a lot of different things that a a leader or somebody planning a back to school night could do. I mean, one thing that I just think of is what's the, you know, teach one, learn one kind of a wall. Like I want to learn, I can teach. What if there's just a big wall where as you come in, you can, you can say those things. So somebody might say, I want to learn more conversational English and I can teach gardening, or I want to learn, you know, this kind of cooking and I can teach this kind of cooking. Um, And you could kind of tee that up to really help the community see each other in a new way. And that is the kind of belonging, seeing each other and your skills, your assets, your attributes, the things that you can offer that contributes to belonging in a huge way. Sign me up for gardening. I'm I'm working on that skill set right now. And I want to I want to actually invite us to the inner world of Danny, right? I'm glad I'm glad that I didn't have that in my notes. And what I want to uh, name that nobody would know because this is just going on in my head. I'm glad I trusted my gut and said, "Oh, the parent one," right? Because as you told the story, I remembered the contribution piece is what I resonated with. And how do you invite that more with uh, with parents because they have so many strengths, right? And I love how you said level the playing field. So sort of the meta thing here that I'm sharing with the ruckus maker listening, trust your gut. You're going to be put in positions all the time as a leader where you're like, huh, I don't think I actually know, but you do know. So trust yourself, you know? So. Yeah. And the thing that I would add to that, I love that, that trust your gut and do the experiment. You know, it's a little bit the just do it. Don't do a gigantic, you know, with the blimp announcing it to the whole world. Trust your gut. And try it at the next meeting. Try the conversation that you want to have or try the question prompt with the next parent that walks in the door and see what kind of a conversation that you can have. And I think you could have, and you could use my book for this, but you can make your own list. You could have a whole list of things that you're wanting to try out. And then, you know, the first 10 parents, they all get a different little, little taste of what you're trying. I think that helps you... That helps you see yourself as the person who trusts their gut in order to try things. Um, And it shifts the way people perceive you as a leader, as an educator. Brilliant, brilliant. So let's talk about one more exercise, uh, the assumption storm. Because a lot of times, you know, we're telling ourselves stories. We're making a lot of assumptions about all sorts of people and events and Normally, they're not correct. <laughs> so in this one really flipped my thinking, which I think is the power of the exercise. So can you can you explain that a little bit? Absolutely. Assumption storm is kind of classic design exercise. It can be used really fruitfully if you're wanting to generate ideas, but it's also a kind of interesting analytic tool. So you can move it in kind of either direction. Um, So to do an assumption storm, you're thinking about something specific. So let's say you're wanting to, just as an example, you're wanting to think about redesigning your back to school night. So you list all your assumptions about that. 
it's at night. It's in September. It's um, happens, you know, it's 90 minutes. It's you meet every teacher. It's right. There's so many assumptions that we have baked into that. Um, and it's only for parents, you know, all the, all the different things you list out all those assumptions and then you consciously try. And with that list, you stay with them as separate items and you flip each of those. So what if it was in the morning? What if it were um, led by students? What if it were a time when you brought your grandparents? What, right? All, and again, and so any of those, and you're not saying that you have to do all of these flips, but it starts to open you up and it both gives you that consciousness of like, wow, I have a lot of assumptions about this thing. And it gives you the space to question which of them are really serving you. And then if you're using it for brainstorming, it also puts you in the position to be like, wow, what if it were a coffee? And by the way, what if it happened once a month? And what if it happened in a garden? And what if it happened in different parts of the city? What if we did it at the library? Or what if we did it at the science center? Because we have this new partnership with this science center that we want to do on and on and on. Or what if it's a parent's what if we get the parents to contribute and they design it on and on and on? So I think it really opens up. Um, and I'll say that one thing uh, I was talking to some educators in the Chicago area yesterday, definitely ruckus makers, and they had been reading Design for Belonging and they wanted to have a little chat. So we got together to chat and they were asking about the assumption storm. And one of the people said, you know, I just... I want to do an assumption storm with my my leadership team this summer and my my teammates, but I'm afraid it's just going to go negative right away. And so one of the things I say, and I think this is true for lots of exercises, don't start using the exercise on your hardest challenge. Start on something actually totally outside of it, right? So what if it was about redesigning summer vacation or redesigning your family meal? Or, and you just list the assumptions on something that's a little bit outside of the thing that you're working on, that gets people the chance to see how the exercise works and the spirit of it and how generative it can be. And then you can move to the thing that's harder that is really the nut that you're trying to crack, but you've actually built a little joy. You've built a little flexibility with the tool and you might be able to bring it, you know, to a different place. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Cool. And I want to recommend everybody go to designforbelonging.com slash toolkit, where you have a, a resource for ruckus makers. Is there anything you'd like to add in terms of what they might find inside the tool inside the toolkit? I've downloaded it uh, and I'm excited about it, but anything you'd like to say? No, I'll just say that it's um, that version is a prototype and it includes some things called jump starts. So it's I'm I'm super curious what of any of those resonate with folks. So feel free to reach out or share other kind of jump starts. My orientation is towards demystifying how to get started. Again, belonging is not a monolith. It really matters as we know. And yet, like all things in our school cultures, it's built day by day, minute by minute, not by some pronouncement and not by some you know rollout. Um, I'm very anti-rollout, the rollout in air quotes there. Um, and and so the jump starts are are also just like a bunch of things that you could potentially try. 
Got it. Speaking of uh, rolling out, I shared with the mastermind last night that I actually have met Ludacris uh, in Atlanta who sings roll out. And uh, that was a super cool moment <laughs> for me. So, all right, back to the show. Susie, now you could put a message on all school marquees around the world for just a single day. What would your message read? I think it would read, you belong here, comma, really, period. And just to, just to give it a little focus on, I think it's a message that's worth sharing. And I think the adding the really lets you take a moment to, to think about it, to let it sink in. Now you're building your dream school. You're not limited by any resources. Your only limitation, Susie, is your imagination. How would you build your dream school? What would be the three guiding principles? Okay, I've got three principles. They are porous, intergenerational, and prioritize play. And I've, this is true K through university, through lifelong learning. Um, for me, porous is about inside out. I, my, one of my, I feel super constrained and unhappy about the kind of tight borders that are around schools. And I want to open those up to be indoor, outdoor, you know, quite literally, but also um, in terms of the dimensions of where, where learning can happen in your town, in your city, what are the kind of other organizations and people that you're involved with? So porous is one of my principles. Related to that is intergenerational. Um, I think our culture in America today really suffers by the separation between generations. Um, some of the subcultures in our broader American culture do much better um, then I think white dominant culture does around intergenerational um, focus. Um, but I, I want to lift that up as something really powerful. And I think there are a lot of folks that we can learn from about, about what intergenerational learning can really look like. And then prioritize healthy play. I think we're suffering from a work, work, work orientation. And, you know, work is actually not the opposite of play. Uh, boredom and stress are the opposite of play. Play is the healthy place where your mind is alive and receptive to both relationships and learning. So I just, I want to deeply ground that. And I'll just shout out to the organization Playworks, who's influenced a lot of my thinking about play, Jill Violet and Elizabeth Cushing. But really building a school around the role of healthy play, I think would be a huge contribution. Absolutely. Susie, thank you so much for being a part of the Better Leaders, Better Schools podcast. We covered a lot of ground. So for everything we discussed, what's the one thing you want a ruckus maker to remember? That you can and should design for belonging. It happens in small ways and tuning to your own stories and feelings of belonging can be that guiding light. Thanks for listening to the Better Leaders, Better Schools podcast, Ruckus Maker. If you have a question or would like to connect, my email, daniel at betterleadersbetterschools.com or hit me up on Twitter at Alien Earbud. If the Better Leaders, Better Schools podcast is helping you grow as a school leader, then please help us serve more ruckus makers like you. 
You can subscribe, leave an honest rating and review, or share on social media with your biggest takeaway from the episode. Extra credit for tagging me on Twitter at Alien Earbud and using the hashtag BLBS. Level up your leadership at betterleadersbetterschools.com and talk to you next time. Until then, class dismissed. Mm-hmm.